You're hanging with us for episode 62 of the Rocky Talkie podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Riccatoni. Joining me uh, across from me at the table here at St. James Espresso Bar and Eatery is Annie Horton from Our Loss. Annie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I usually do a longer intro than that, but I want to kind of rush to uh, the story because sure. I don't know the story. Well, okay. that's, a, that's kind of a half truth. Lauren kind of gave, gave me a, a okay. very brief overview and... Uh, Needless to say, it's compelling. And um, when I, I'm not going to say anything about what it is that I witnessed on your socials, but when I saw mm-hmm. your socials, knowing virtually nothing about you, mm-hmm. um, there was an honesty and a rawness, but a beautiful serenity about the whole thing. And the, topic, the topical issues you touch are heavy. They are heavy. And somehow yeah. you managed to um, straddle this line of peacefulness and mindfulness while leaning into a very heavy thing. So if you want to just kind of start and tell me about uh, what, what our loss is. Sure. I, um, it's interesting that you ask what our loss is because I am still trying to figure out what it is specifically, but how I came to it is a story that I I can tell. And then I'll get into what our loss is and what I'm hoping that, that it however it however be. we get there I would love to hear it okay I yeah. think it makes more sense yeah. for me to go that way absolutely so um, okay actually let me rewind a bit so our loss <laughs> is um, a grief community right now it exists online on Instagram and um, what I'm hoping to do is bring it into our community so into into Hamilton into community spaces like where we're sitting right now um, you know, the library, the art gallery, um, the art crawl, basically just everyday places where you find everyday people. Um, the idea is, is to bring grief out into the world, basically. Hmm. Bring it into our community. Weave it into everyday life. Because right now, the way we exist in the world as people who are grieving is by hiding it because it makes people uncomfortable. So yeah. what I want to try and do is bring grief literacy out and make it more accessible for people who maybe have never lost somebody before. So um, providing people with the education and the knowledge to support other people through grief or providing that space where people who have lost loved ones uh, to just meet each other and to just know each other and just be in a space and exist as a grieving person together. And... Um, I don't think that that exists anywhere yet. I've never heard of that. It, it's, uh, but it, it's like one of those things where you look at an invention and go, why the hell didn't I think about that? Or why didn't someone else invent this years ago? Uh, grief historically seems to be something that you deal with after the fact of something happening. Sometimes. There never seems to be a, um, a preemptive training or guiding light on how to understand it before it happens. No, no. That's a, that's a really amazing perspective. There, I mean, there's something, so when we talk about the actual logistics of grief and we talk about grieving after someone has died and then grieving, excuse me, before Mm -hmm. someone has died. So what we call anticipatory grief. So that could be in a situation where you might be grieving someone who has uh, cancer, who has a a terminal diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. Who's living with a life limiting illness. So someone who's living in the hospice or, Um, even people who have dementia, um, you're grieving 
their death before they're even gone because they start to slip away, right? right? So that's anticipatory grief. And people don't know what that is because just like you're saying, historically, what we know grief as, we know it as the thing that exists after death, right? right. So another part of what I want to do is trying to educate people on that anticipatory grief as a thing that exists before we even lose somebody, but also grief as a thing that exists that um, it happens even when we don't lose someone to death, right? Yeah. Grieving exists in so many different forms. When you lose a job, when you lose a relationship, um, it, it's everywhere and we're going through it all the time, whether we know it or not. Can I put a pin in that? I feel like sure. grief, hearing you speak, it's like anxiety. It manifests mm-hmm. in so many ways that from the subtle to the, to the, to the extreme, someone who's struggled with anxiety, mm-hmm. the manifestations of it are almost endless and boundless. Yeah. And uh, I'm getting the, the, the purview here that grief is sneaky that way too. You just, you live with it and you, you, you don't really have a choice when somebody dies, when something happens to you, when you lose something that becomes a part of who you are. Grief just becomes a part of you and you have to learn to live with it. Similarly, I guess you can say like anxiety, you discover you have it. Sometimes it's really bad. Sometimes it's manageable, but through living with it and through what I'm trying to do, creating community, we find better ways at living with it as a community. Full disclosure, sure. knowing you were coming on today, I said to my wife, um, I'm really glad Annie's coming on because uh, in the last three days, I've gone through something with mm-hmm. a relationship um, and I'm reeling. I'm reeling from what's, yeah. what's happened. And uh, I've been in a heavy depression for three days. Yeah. Um, and it's been, and, and I'm just going to get real with you right away. Otherwise, why are we here? Right. This is, let's just get real. That's what I do. Yeah. So, um, and I said to my wife, I'm like, I feel like this is um, a quantifiable baseline, authentic f- picture of just genuine sadness that I'm feeling. Okay. I'm sad. I'm heavy. Mm-hmm. And it's a type of grief. And I'm like, I'm, the timing on this interview is perfect because I need to hear what Annie has to say. This is not an objective like, so let's, let's, let's get a big yeah. picture view of this. I'm coming at this table sitting across from you ready to receive. So I, I just want to say that as well. Like I, I'm okay. just what you've said in this first five minutes about grief is encouraging. It's like, I don't really know what I, what I'm trying to say. I no, just know, okay. I'm just know that I'm, I'm grateful that this is the topic today. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad I so I'm, I'm all that. yours. Great. All right. Great. <laughs> so, uh, that's an incredible introduction. Like that's, that's, uh, there's a whole world of wonder in that first like four minutes. Um, your trajectory and your choice of your life's work yeah. um, is a unique one. Yeah. Um, and I think anybody that does um, hospice care is a nurse, someone who works with kids, someone who chooses to work with kids with uh, disabilities or special needs. They're doing, uh, as you would say, God's work. It's a special kind of person to go, I'm going to step into the swampy areas yeah. and uh, pitch a tent here. And if you need me, I'll be right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to cut short the overview of what our loss is and how but you got we'll there. We'll go in and out. Sure. It all kind of intertwines. Yeah. So. But I would love to know. I'm, I'm, I'm an origins guy. I would love to know about the road yeah. that led you um, to where you are. And, and, and if you can, maybe you can pepper in. Uh, some of the other things that you were doing that looked nothing like what you're doing now. But how how did Annie Horton become the Annie Horton I'm sitting across from right now? 
It's an interesting question. There's a lot of people who I have made friends with in this community and the grief support community from all over the place. Um, you know, we say, I don't think anybody who works in this field always wanted to work in this field. Right. You don't, you don't come into it being desperate to work in grief. You know, you're not a kid and you're like, all I want to do is be a grief I therapist. I want to be a grief right. counselor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not something, um, I mean, at least from my experience and I could be totally wrong. There could be someone out there. I'm sure there is somewhere. Really I'm felt, sure there is. Yeah. But for me, um, it comes from personal experience and okay. from my own, my own losses. So um, in what's so when I was 27, uh, I guess that would have been in, uh, my, so my dad passed away in, in 2017, the tail end of, of 2017 in December. And it was really sudden. Um, my dad and I were very, very close. Mm. Um, and I say that feeling like I need to justify why, you know, right. my grief is so huge when I want to make note that it doesn't, matter how close you were to the person any kind of grief is justifiable there's no qualifiers here. no not at all however you know it was totally earth shattering for me i didn't know what to do i it was one of my worst fears um came true basically <sighs> and i always you know i thought to myself as a kid i thought you know what would happen you have those worst fears as as a kid and and even into adulthood and i remember being in university being so afraid you know i would just be so devastated if i just if i got that call because i had friends that had also mostly lost fathers so i i don't have any um close friends i can think of that had lost mothers but at this point i knew lots of people that had lost their dads how old were you when that fear started grabbing hold of you I was a child. <laughs> and do you, do you have any, so like when I was a kid, I was terrified of getting cancer. I was oh, terrified yeah. of my mom having a plane crash. Like, yes. So those my, kinds of my things. My yeah. mind went to dark places very early. Oh yeah. So were you the same? A hundred percent. I remember being away at camp, Right. you know, like a biggest, a big fear for me was like going away to a sleepover or my parents going away and them not returning or me Oof. being away and like not seeing them again kind of thing. It was some attachment thing, which is very weird because like, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to psychoanalyze myself. Did we just, did, did we just become best friends? <laughs> best yes. grief? Yeah. Dude, yeah. I was, I was like, why am I worrying about these yeah. things that no one else my age are worrying about yeah. things? Or people your age, just you're not sitting there talking to your friends like, listen, man, right. I'm going to have a really hard time sleeping tonight because I really miss my parents. And I think that if they disappear forever, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm also afraid I might have an aneurysm. I'm only seven, but we'll see. <laughs> listen, I'm a kid, but. Oh, man. You know what? It's, there's no hyperbole here. That's yeah. how I thought. Oh, it's safe. That, that's it's a safe. podcast. We yeah. could do a whole other podcast on, on <laughs> yeah. hyper, hyper, hypochondriac, fearful. Uh, yeah. Thing. Anyway, sorry, I'll stop. No, that's okay. But it, it was a fear, you know, rooted in, you know, yeah. what was, I guess, at the time I thought was irrational fears of that happening. And um, I should note, though, bef the year before my dad died, my um, my husband's father died. So he died in 2016, and it was a month before we he and I got my husband and I got married. Oh so, my god! And that was um, that was the first very close death that I had seen. And obviously, after that happened, I was scared that my my dad was going to die. I thought, oh my god, you know, my dad's next, right? Mm. And he would say to me because I was told, I was also rattled from that, you know, seeing that and seeing my husband go through that and how awful that was and continues to be right. Um, my dad was like, I, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Right. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, well, you can't control any of that. Right. You can say it as much as you want, but mm -hmm. it was really only a year later and then he died. So, 
Um, How old was he? My dad was 57. So young. Yeah, my dad was young. Can, yeah. I, can I ask the circumstances that... Yeah, he had a heart attack. So my dad was a musician, and uh, at the time he was away, he was working for uh, the Recording Arts College. He was the, the director of the college in Toronto, the Recording Arts wow. Canada College. Um, and he was uh, writing curriculum in Montreal with his friends. So they were out in the Laurentian Mountains, which is in the middle of nowhere, and uh, he had a heart attack. And the circumstances kind of led me to believe that it didn't really matter the scenario. Like it was going to happen that weekend regardless. And he was in the mountains because, you know, there was no way that an ambulance was going to get there in time. It would have taken forever. Um, And you spiral, right? You're like, you go through where, where were they? What happened? How were they feeling? What did it look like? Um, when you're not there to witness somebody dying, you, you spiral. And it, ends, it ended up being a huge part of my grief at the beginning was trying to understand what happened and what it looked like. Back engineer it. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of like Googling, what does it look like when somebody dies? What happens when somebody dies? And this was like the first few days because I just, I couldn't understand it. I just, I needed to understand what had happened. Obviously, since then, I have so much knowledge. Um, and it's a lot less scary than you might think it is, but I, it, I didn't know what to do. So when it, when it happened, I was hit with this, with grief in a way that I just, you know, a lot of us, again, in the grief community talk about not understanding what it's life, like to truly grieve something until it happens to you. And then when it does, because you're not prepared, because you, you're not educated on, hey, this is a, a, a fact of life, as someone in your life is probably gonna die, and you're going to need to know how to deal with that in a very in a healthy way. We're not taught that, right? We're not we're not taught no. how to how to deal with that. Um, so I didn't know what to do. You know, I was a young person. My husband had lost his dad, but we both are different people, right? Even though we both had been had gone through these major losses, um, we it was also it had only been a year since my husband had lost his dad so we were both in very early stages and i I say stages not like there are stages but we were in a very early phase of what was going to be the rest of our life living with grief right well when you say i didn't know what to do i mean the obvious thing that you do when things like that happen is you Mm -hmm. fall apart and you cry and you weep and you do that but obviously you're 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 punching at something more obviously Mm -hmm. so when you say i didn't know what to do um, well, you know what, let's, let's say that. Cause obviously you're sure. going to start naturally, you're going to start explaining about what knowing what to do kind of looks like or not. I don't think you ever know what to do, but no. learning how to navigate or, or manage it. Yeah. For, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. That, and I, I know that we're naturally going to get there. Yeah. What I do want to know, mm-hmm. and, and you can say no, but for me as a voracious learner of people's stories, like I want to know what we, what were they wearing? What, oh, yeah. what did you have for dinner that night? What, what, what was going on in the fabric of space and time and in the oh, environment? Yeah. I, you know, can you share with us? Because I want it to be as real as possible. Oh, yeah. I want to flesh this out. Like, yeah. where were you and who, who was it that told you? Like, how did that all shake out? Yeah. There is a, a space in my brain that is reserved for that day. And it wow. stays there forever. Wow. It, it, the memories are there. They don't fade. It's there forever. So I can tell you like it happened yesterday because it's just imprinted in my head. Um, So that morning, um, I was uh, 
So I was at my apartment with my husband, and it was it was uh, December 9th, so it was just before Christmas, and we were like, um, you know, we were talking about the holidays, and um, I had said, I'm going to go to a Christmas market with my girlfriend today. So I drove her to, over to her place, and her house, which, you know, her apartment at the time was very close to my parents' house. So I go up, and I'm like, we're sitting in her apartment, and... Uh, and we were just sitting there chatting, and then we were like, you know what, like, we're tired, like, let's just not go. We don't want to go anywhere. So we're just sitting there just chatting, and then I get a phone call from my sister, and my sister doesn't typically call me. So she was, she's five years younger than me, so she would have been, was she 23? Yeah, she was 23, and I would have been 28. Um, yeah, and uh, so she called me, and I picked up the phone, and she said, um, you need to come home. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, why? Like, what's going on? She said, dad had a heart attack. And I said, is he okay? She said, it's not good. I said, what does that mean? She said, it's not good. You just need to come home. So I hung up the phone and immediately um, went into having a panic attack, a full-on panic attack, which I had never really had a panic attack before. But it was an experience where... Um, I was like, I started sweating and I was shaking like uncontrollably and I wasn't like, like I didn't have any panting or breathing. I was just like uh, in such a state of shock. I can tell you what I was wearing because I didn't wear it after for a very long time because I also have this like weird fear of like, if I wore it this, this this day, then it's bad luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yep. I had this uh, vintage Hudson's Bay bomber, (laughs) wool bomber on, and it's cute. And I don't think people really wear that Hudson's Bay stuff anymore because it's not kosher. But at the time, I, and I just couldn't look at it. So anyway, I wore that. I left it at her house actually. And she drove me. So she, her apartment was basically at the bottom of my parents' street, basically at the bottom of the street. And I was like, I, I, I need you to drive me. Like, I can't walk. I can't move right now. So she drove me there. And I said, <laughs> she gets me to the driveway. And I was like, I'm really sorry that I ruined your day. <laughs> and she was like, you didn't ruin my day. Like, call me once you know what's, what's happened. And I was like, okay. So I get out of the car and I go into the house. And my mom is, I think, on the phone. And I was like, what's going on? I walk into the kitchen and all the lights are on in the house. And my mom had been cleaning out. There's like a junk room in my parents' house. Okay. It's just like a bunch of crap. And she had cleaned it all out because my dad also had this thing about mess. He hated mess. Clutter was like my dad's nightmare. So yeah. my mom had spent the whole weekend cleaning up um, this room so that when he got home, it would be like nice and clean, whatever. Um, needless to say, the room is a disaster now. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just been consuming clutter. If my mom listens to this, she'll be like, "That's yeah, true." Um, so anyway, we I get into the, the kitchen, and then I very quickly, for a very short period of time, I did just absolutely lose it, and was like sobbing and crying. And then, um, I it was very short. It was for a very short period of time, and then I was like, "Okay, I, I got myself together," and. Um, at that point, your father was still alive as, as, as no. far as you knew. Well, so at that, this is what I'm, I'm trying to remember is no, like we, we get a call from the hospital. So he had, or he had been transported from, um, there was like just this cottage space with a recording studio or something in it. And he had been, uh, 
transported already at that point. Um, so we spoke to the, my mom spoke to the doctors and then I said, I want to talk to them. So I did. And I said, what's, you know, what's going on? And they said, well, you know, we were able to get um, like a pulse back, but there's no brain activity. <sighs> and so I'm like, oh, well, he, so he's gone. Right. And um, it's a, a little fuzzy there. I don't remember what happened. Then we all just, my sister, uh, my mom and I just sat together and we were like, okay, like, this is just reality now. We have to start figuring out what to do. So I went upstairs and I started calling my dad's brothers. My dad has three brothers. I called, or no, I called one of them. And then I said, can you call the rest? Because I can't do it. So I called my dad's youngest brother. Um, and then I called my cousins, a couple of my friends, um, and it was just like from that moment on, we were just kind of like, we have to just deal with this now. So it was telling everybody, first of all, um, which I, like to, to find out that your dad is dead and then to have to say the words oh, yeah. out loud within a few hours to like just let people know what's going on, especially because, you know, it was during the holidays, right? So we, things were happening. People were making plans, you yeah. know? And the other thing is, you know, my dad was elsewhere. So we had to get his body transported from Montreal back to Hamilton, which I don't know all that much about. I know that it took a little while. My dad died on the 9th. We had a funeral on the 13th. <laughs> so wow. it was like really quick turnaround. And a part of it was because we were like, we just have to get this over with. And so we just did. We, the next day we had to go to the, um, the funeral home. We had to like, I, was, I remember sitting there. I was like, uh, what are we doing? It was just like, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. I just. Surreal. It was totally surreal. We're sitting there and we're in Bay Gardens funeral home. And uh, there's this like awful canned music playing, right? And I'm just like, and it's frustrating for me because my dad was a musician. So music was such a big part of our life. And right. I'm just like, this can't be playing right now. <laughs> yeah. This is not indicative at no. all of, of my father's life. Yeah, Right. And I said, and you know, mind you, like they don't know this. Yeah. We are going in for the first time. My, we are there for the sake of picking out a casket. Right. Which again, I'm like, I can't understand this. So I said to my sister and her boyfriend were there and my husband was there and I was like, uh, I, this music is terrible. And then it turned off. It's <laughs> like, someone can hear me. Obviously, someone can hear me. I said that and they turned it off for me, which was nice. But <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, well, whatever. So anyway, I mean. I, what role did you take out of the three of the ladies, your sister, your mom? What, were you the strong one? Were you, were you the one falling apart? Were you in between? What, do you yeah, remember where you were? Yeah, so I know that for the sake of having to just kind of um, get through it, I eventually looked at it as a very matter-of-fact situation. And um, my mom and I, not to say that my sister didn't, but uh, we also, I, you know, I have to remember, my sister was so much younger than right. me. And, you know, at that point, I, I was, you know, 28. I was well into my 20s. And I just, I 
approached it differently. We all approached it differently, but we were in a position where we had to make decisions very quickly. And so, you know, I, I supported my mom through that. Also, you know, my sister lived with my mom, so she did a lot of the other supporting that I didn't do. Right. Right. There was a lot of the, the emotional support in living with someone, right. That I wasn't seeing because I had my own family. I mean, I didn't have kids at that point, but I still had a partner and I had my stepson and a house. And so, um, you know, we, we did a lot of the planning together. We, there was the obituary my mom wrote that I, you know, looked at as well. I posted on Facebook, letting everybody know that he died. Like I did lots of the communication, um, you know, and then shortly after that, um, my mom, my, my grandmother died, my baba, so we're Macedonian. This is my mom's mother. She died two weeks later. Oh, my God. So we're back at Bay Gardens. <laughs> and we're like, hey, do we get a discount? Right. <laughs> you know, so it was a lot. And I think of my mom who lost her partner and her, her only surviving parent um, within weeks of each other. Isn't it, isn't it interesting as a, as a complete sidebar, though, that the crossover that happens from child to the one taking care of the parent? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. that cro- that convergence where it's like, wow, this is this is. If it yeah. wasn't weird enough, now I'm yeah I shepherding my mom. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I know that's not. We're not even near the end of the no. story, but but <laughs> what's interesting is that in our community here in Hamilton, <clears throat> you know, I heard a lot about this through my wife. Yeah, and I didn't know you. I didn't have a face to the name. And, but I was like, what? No, that 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 that, that happened. Yeah, and then I, and, she, and so Lauren would tell me, and I'd be like, oh my God, this poor girl. Yeah. Um, and here you are. Sorry. Okay. So. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, I, I don't want to camp here too much, but at the no. same time, there's no apologies because this is no, no, such an okay. important part of the story. Yeah, that's um, right. I can also speed through some of it. No, no. Hey, I, I want you to. I want you to. Um, I have a Cole's notes version. I want you to explain what you feel is valid to the story and, and yeah. that is honoring to the story. So I, I, I have no time slot agenda at all. Yeah. Do you recall? Uh, Based off what I, the little that I know of you, I'm sure you do recall, and probably mm-hmm. in great color and volume, uh, the last conversation you had with your father. Um, yes. So I, there are a few moments that I remember well. So actually, I can tell you this. The very last thing that my dad said to me was, um, so he texted me, my sister, and my mom saying, I have it saved on my phone. Mm. It, it says, um, uh I love you very much. I just want you to know uh, all is well. Something along those lines. He texted that to me. It was... When he was away in Montreal? Yeah, so he texted me on Friday, Friday morning. And I was like, oh, I texted him back. I said, oh, I love you too, right? And I said, how's Montreal? And then we had like very quick, you know, banter just about the snow being there because there was a snow in Montreal at the time and there wasn't any snow here. And he said, it's nice to see snow and whatever. And uh, then that was the last conversation we had. That was via text. Um, and then the last, so, uh, the last like actual face to face conversation I had with my dad was, had been, I think the weekend before I had come over. So I, I got, I just got my license by the way. So I was 28 and I got my license because I waited forever mm-hmm. and my dad was really proud of me. So my mother-in-law had gifted me this ancient, was it a Toyota? I think just ancient. And, um, we went for a drive in it and, and he's like, Oh, you know, I'm so proud of you. Like this car is not too bad. And he like tried to fix the radio a little bit. The radio was completely broken, but he tried to fix it. 
And um, then we talked about Christmas. I said, I think I'm going to get this, some garlic press or something for my mom. And um, then uh, I left and I was like, no, see you later. And then I, I went to, always closed. I went to, that at the time was on lock. And I bought a pair of socks for my dad because he loved Seinfeld. So he was in this stage where he was like rewatching every season of Seinfeld. So I bought him these socks from O's clothes that said Seinfeld on them because I was going to give them to him for Christmas. Um, and that was it. Like that was the last conversation. Yeah, that was it. You know, it's mundane, whatever. But the last text message was definitely, there's definitely something there where I think my dad knew that he wasn't feeling well and felt like he should say something. Really? Just in case. I think so. Yeah. I don't think my dad was stupid. Like I think he wasn't feeling well. And I don't know if you know this, but if you have heart problems and you get on a plane, it can, you know, make your blood pressure high and then it can exacerbate mm-hmm. heart issues. Um, and I think that that's probably what did my dad over was probably getting on the plane. Like he was going to have this, this heart attack was sitting there for a while. Right. And then the, the plane likely is what did him over. But yeah, anyway, that was, that was that. This is the quickest I've ever gotten this deep with virtually a stranger. <laughs> Thank you for doing that though. That's uh, I won't forget it. And the last thing I'll kind of want to, sure. you know, pull some, uh, some color out of is, is an overview. First of all, mm-hmm. what is your father's name? Carl. Carl. Who was Carl? <laughs> my dad. Okay. So my dad was born in uh, Warsaw, Indiana. <laughs> Warsaw, Indiana. In the States, yeah. So okay. I actually have my dual citizenship. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, my dad was born to a, a Pentecostal family. His father was a pastor of a church. Is he a, is he a PK? He's not. No. So he was. They raised in a, a very Christian home. And um, mom, my so my was a teacher. My husband was a, or her husband, my grandfather, who I never met because he also had a heart attack at the age of 57 and died. Oh, man. Um, so they moved all over. They traveled everywhere. So um, the brothers, my dad's brothers, were all born in different places. Um, and then they ended up in Hamilton. And my dad went to Westmount. Okay. Um, and he, my dad was a musician. My dad was a working musician. So he, um, he <laughs> left home when he was 16 because he, you know, was a 16 year old in the, well, I guess it would have been the seventies. Right. And, um, left home, pursued music, uh, tried going to college, didn't succeed. Um, he and my mom met because my mom was working at the Hamilton art gallery at the time. And, uh, my dad was playing and they met there the first time. And then they met again, I think at the festival of friends. So they're like, very serious Hamilton story. Well, I was going to say, that's a very... And then they went to the tie cat game. Yeah, yeah, no tie cats. And they went to Bronzies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bronzies okay. for sure. Um, so my dad was uh, super funny. And um, he was, you know, he was a strict one out of my parents. My dad would, would have been the strict one. I was afraid of... had a healthy amount of fear for my dad. Right. Um, but he always... So I wanted to be an actress... I'm rolling my eyes right now. <laughs> and he encouraged me to do it. Yeah. He said, do it. You right know? On. Yeah. So he, when I, when I um, wanted to do that, 
after high school, he took me to every single audition. Really? And we drove everywhere. He said, you go wherever you want. You know, you're going to... And then I met a boy and right. went to Ottawa U for theater. So... You went to Ottawa U? Yeah, that's not the place to go for theater. But that's cool, though, because he had... He, it wasn't the same uh, trade, but he... he you're well, speaking his language, man. Passions, art, right. Well, art. Yeah, yeah. So he was, he was all about, you know pursue what you're passionate about. Amen to that. Yeah. So my dad worked at Mohawk College for years. He was a uh, teacher in the music department. Um, he gigged all around the city. Sweet. So he found a way to make adult money and still yeah. keep the passion alive. He, ha he had wrote the jingle for Channel 11 News at the time for years. For CH? Yeah. Yeah. In the 90s. He wow. um, wrote the jingle for our Fortinos, the supermarket with a heart. I could sing it right now, but I won't. Really? That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So he did lots of jingles, lots That's of TV. Great, man. All 90s, right? Yeah. The 90s was the year for all that stuff. Now people just do it on their computers like real quick. But um, yeah, so I heard a lot of jingles in my house growing up through the vents of my house. And, That's so cool. That's um, special. Yeah. Yeah. So. Carl. Here's to you, Carl. Yeah. People, you know, people would say, oh, are you going to name your son after your dad? I was like, are you joking? <laughs> no. <laughs> of course not. He wouldn't want me to do that. <laughs> Is that, what, what was, sorry, was Carl, what's the, what, you, what was the background you said? Macedonian? No, my mom is Macedonian. My dad was the whitest person in the world. Okay. Yeah. Very what, much. What is Carl? Is Carl Germanic? Like what, what's the word? I, we're, go, good, we're going on. That's a tangent. We don't have yeah, to go down. A, okay. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, that's special. Thank you. Um, there's more though. I know. Yeah. So it doesn't stop. So there. let's, let's, yeah. uh, at, at your leisure and at your pace, yeah. let's let's keep going down the road here. So what I will say though, about all of that is truthfully, you know, I will get into the rest of what has happened to my family. And when I say my family, I mean my, my husband and I, my partner and I, and, um, but my, you know, I guess passion is a weird word, but I guess passion career change towards working in grief came from the loss of my dad. That's where it stems from because that was a pivotal moment in my life. I, I completely changed as a person after that. How? Um, is it tangible? Can you quantify that? Yeah. I mean, um, what I say to people is that when you lose someone in the capacity, like I'm explaining, like mm -hmm. from myself. So your, your assumptive world is shattered, right? So everything that you thought you knew right. no longer exists, right? And from that moment, you basically have to figure out if you exist in the world that, you know, you, you thought that that shattered world, what is that going to look like? How do you exist in that? How do you rebuild yourself? How do you basically start a new life for yourself? Because you can't live the same life you did before without that person. It just doesn't make sense. So for me, it meant integrating grief in a way where I could look at it every day, basically, and I could talk about it, and I could see that it was all around me. And I still see that. So it, it, it just meant, yeah, it meant the integration of grief in a way where I was doing something about it or, or actively doing something with it. And is that because you knew if you didn't get a handle on it, it would, it would take you out? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I, um, I don't think I ever got to that point. Um, I think that it's very easy 
for grief to do that. I think it's very easy for grief to do that. And there are days when I don't have a handle. I mean, I'm saying it in quotations because, um, I mean, what is that, having a handle on it, right? But yeah. um, there are days when I, when I feel awful, and then there are days like today where I can sit here and just talk about this, all this stuff that happened to me very matter-of-factly. Because the other part of it is I know that I'm not the only person. Right. So knowing that is also comforting. You know, it makes it much less of an, an isolating experience. So I can shift now. I sure. just wanted to, no, no, that's <laughs> to great. make that note. That's great. Um, so, uh, that, so that happened. My dad died in yeah, the end of 2017. Uh, in 2018, um, I got pregnant unexpectedly. And um, I was like, I can't, I don't know if I can do this. And amidst all that, I will note that um, my husband and I, so my dad died in January. My husband and I bought our first house, which was very nice. And that was from inheritance from his father mm-hmm. who passed away. So that was a really nice thing we were able to do. Um, but still stressful to have to purchase a house for the first time and move. I'm very lucky that I can even do that. Then I lost my job. <laughs> And then I got pregnant and um, I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't do this. I was so stressed out about it. And then, you know, my mom was like, would this be the worst thing? (laughs) And I was like, no, you're right. You know, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. So now I have a kid. I have two, but that's the first one. Um, And then we found out that my husband's brother so my brother-in-law and his wife were expecting also so we were pregnant at the exact same time and then our kids were born three days apart wow which was really cool so it was very exciting for matt my husband and his brother nick and amanda and i who were like you know reeling in new parenthood and we had each other it was we were you know miles and miles away they were living in new york at the time and we were here in hamilton but it was nice to be able to know that they were going through the same thing and it was also just fun you know um and so that would have been, yeah, 2019 when the kids were born, uh, June of 2019. And then uh, the pandemic hit in, uh, I guess, was that March? February, March February yeah. March-ish yeah. was when we were hearing about all that. Um, and uh, I remember we called, um, we called Nick and Amanda, so my brother and sister-in-law, and... Uh, and we were like, oh, you know, how's it going, guys? Like, this is weird, eh? You know, with this pandemic stuff, what's going on? We don't know. And Nick was like, I'm not feeling good. And we were like, listen, you know, just because there's this big pandemic thing going on does not mean you have it. Like, the other viruses and sicknesses still exist despite this, this pandemic thing happening. Like, right now, we think, you know, the odds of it are really so, you know. So then it's just a couple of weeks that go by and Nick is just getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, then, you know, he faints and he is hospitalized and then we find out that he likely has COVID. So at this point, they were testing him and his tests were actually coming back negative. But it only made sense that, you know, it sounds like he's, he's got all the symptoms of COVID at the time. Um, and... Uh, it was a really bad, obviously it was really bad and they intubated him. And then within, like I could be getting the timelines a little bit wrong, but it all happened very quickly where he um, had a heart attack and stroke because of an infection. 
Um, and then he went into a coma. And that was the Easter long weekend of, so that was April 2020. And basically at that point, um, it was, that was kind of it. Despite the fact that he, you know, continued to live, again, doing quotations because it wasn't really living um, in the ICU in the hospital in L.A. Um, Full, and his name is Nick Cordero? Nick Cordero, yeah. And he was a Broadway yeah, so Nick Nick was a, a Broadway um And he was actor. known, well-known, yeah, well-loved. Yeah, yeah he, Nick was nominated for a Tony for, um, I'm not going to get the show name right, but That's okay. uh, Bullets Over Broadway he was nominated for. And I don't know what year that was, but, um, you know, he was a super talented guy, he was an incredibly talented musician. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, in the end, there were lots of complications, and if people are curious, like, you can read about this mm-hmm. and... Um, a lot of it is online, but I would just, if it's something that people are curious to read about, read everything with a grain of salt because a lot of stuff got mixed up within, uh, you know, with the media and all that. Um, so it was highly publicized. The whole thing was all over. Um, and, you know, that's a really interesting thing to talk about. That I've talked about before is grieving um, while the media is actively covering what's going on in your life is very, very bizarre, um, especially when it was something about you know, it was, it was pandemic related, which already, you know, had some political underlines to people. Not everybody saw it the same way, which is really strange. Um, and, um, he died on July 5th of 2020. So he he went into the hospital in, was it March, end of March, early April, and then he died in July. So it was very long, it was long considering, but, but also Really quick, you know, really, really quick. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so that was 2020. I'm so sorry. I, I, uh-huh. what's crazy is, you know, the six degrees of separation with mm-hmm. other lives. I was watching um, Zach Braff have an interview with oh, yeah. Rick Ross. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Ross? Yeah, Rick Ross is a person. <laughs> Yeah, but no, is it? No, sorry. Rich Roll, the Rich Roll podcast. Uh, Rick Ross is a rapper, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that was definitely <laughs> not the guy. Surprise for yeah. a minute. Um, and Zach mentioned Nick. Nick. Yeah. And that they were very close. Yeah, they were, they were very good friends. And that his death, he was, was reeling from his death. Yeah. I don't know if the timeline's right. I don't know if Zach spent time with him in his home or his. The family was with Zach and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. His, I I'm blank, <clears throat> blanking on her name, the actress. But he, it was the yeah. a, a very serious impetus to the to the movie that he just recently released. Yes, yeah, I remember when all of that when he was writing that or filming that. Um, you know, we would hear about it from Amanda, who would mm-hmm. tell us you know things here and there. And I believe that there's a scene in the movie where um, a good person, the good person. The, a good person. A good person, I think. Yeah. yeah. I. What is her name? The actress. Florence Pugh. Yes, Florence yeah. Pugh, who I think is incredible, by the way. Yeah. 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 She. Yeah, she's a great actress. Um, yeah. There's a scene where there's a shirt that's worn, I think, and it is a nod to Nick. Um, wow. I don't know if it's his initials or if it's. I don't. I don't know, but I'd, I'll have to find out what that is. But what's interesting is the death of of Nick. 
you, like Zach Braff, are finding ways to yeah. turn that into a life-giving mm-hmm. thing. That's really all I can say about that. I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of shook right now. That's that's crazy. There's something about uh, it's the compounding story after story after story, and then oh, like yeah. how young he was and, and how em- em- emblematic of that COVID yeah. thing was. And well, I think Nick might be the same age as you. <clears throat> yeah, that's why it, it, he played the same guitar. He had the same guitar as I did. His kids, oh, yeah? his kids are the similar age as me. Like, yeah. it, it's just yeah. it hits home in a very yeah. real way. Yeah, yeah. There's something about. Um, did you know him well? Nick? Yeah. Yeah, I knew Nick. Like, you know, he was my brother-in-law. And to be fair, like, he didn't live here, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, when he, when they came here, so when Amanda and Nick would come here, they would spend lots of time here because they'd, they'd spend chunks of time, right? So we spent a few weeks together in the summer. The summer our kids were born, we all went to a cottage, and we spent um, a bunch of time together. It was a lot of fun. And then that winter, they came back, and they were at our place for about a week at that point, too. So it was, like, chunks of time. Um, which was nice because we we just you know we'd get to spend a good amount of time with each other. So, um, yeah. so I, I from from watching you recount the stories that it and, and I don't want to have any leading questions at all, but yeah. I can see in how you're recounting the stories that that when we get to the Nick loss mm-hmm. that you were hitting maximum density of what perhaps your heart and soul could take in terms of like, yeah, I don't know. There's a, there was, I feel like there's been a crossover point once we get to that part of the story where, yeah, because I think it, you know, with Matt and I, it just kind of was like, okay, is this it? Right. <laughs> okay. Is this it? Okay. Is this it? Right. <laughs> you know, like you, kind of adjust to this life, I guess, of being like, it's, it's the waiting for the other shoe to, the to, dro- to drop. Yeah. Right. But unfortunately with us there, you can have that fear um, and it be irrational. I did, I did a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy after my dad died because I was very scared of dropping dead. Right. And it got to the point where I had a very hard time functioning every day. Wow. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. So you had a very real personal trauma response. To oh, that. hugely, Man. hugely. So I spent a lot of time in cognitive behavioral therapy, which I know doesn't work for everybody, did but it, help? It, it did work for me. It did work for me. It, it, you know, and she would say to me because I would, I would tell her, you know, she said she wouldn't necessarily say these are irrational fears, but she would say, where is the science to back up right. that fear, right? And for me, it was like, well, actually. <laughs> Let me tell you, right? And that made it hard. But simply being able to, 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 to you know, reflect on science and facts and, like, where's the evidence, you know, um, helped me to control some of the right. fears that I had around my own death, I guess. I feel differently now. But, um, yeah, we did get to a point where it was after Nick died, we were all very tired. We were all very, very tired. And that is coupled with a bunch of things, just like the pandemic with having a young child, you know, with working from home, like there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened and that, and I'm not alone in that, right? The pandemic was really hard for everybody. Um, lots of people lost people, lots and lots of people did. I talked to a lot of people who, who lost loved ones in very similar 
tragic, traumatic ways. So, and people are living with that. And we're in this post, again, quotations, <laughs> post-pandemic life right now where the pandemic is, is over, but it's also not. We're living with all of the grief and all of the trauma that just happened, right? Nick died in 2020. That was, it's coming up on three years. That's not a long time ago. There's still echoes everywhere. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we were just really tired. And then very shortly after that, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, man. Um, which she, she overcame. Like we, we knew from the beginning that it, it wasn't um, like an earth shattering diagnosis. The doctor was like, you know, this is, um, we're calling this kind of, of uh, breast cancer. We want to change the name to breast disease because it's very curable. And we were like, okay, like we can handle this. It's going to suck, but we can handle it. It's going to be a long year, lots of treatment and treatment for somebody who is in their seventies it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, so she she beat beat that, um, and then just this past winter, uh, she called me and she said, um, "So I just want to be real with you right now." I was like, "Okay," because we had we did have a very matter of fact relationship. She and I were very close, and we talked like. You know, you're listen, saying this was, was in fire. past tense. Did we yeah. lose her? Yes. Okay. So she called me and she said, um, I have, I have terminal liver cancer. Oh my God. And I was like, okay. And she said, uh, because Matt, my husband and his sister were on their way to her house at that moment <laughs> on the phone with her. I'm like, Oh fuck. Like does not know. Like I know what am I, what do I do here? Um, so I said, okay, what what do you want to like what should we do you know what do you want to do right now she said well i need to know if we should have dinner first and then i should tell them or if i should just tell them i said leslie just tell them what a practical conversation and you know what the interesting thing was the whole dialogue from that moment until she died was it was all pragmatic there was no room for anything but she was like this is what's happening and I just need to get through it, and we need to figure this out together. And it was interesting to have that because my husband and I were talking, you know, in many other people's lives, getting this news would be just like how it was for me that when I found out my dad died for the first time, not like he died continually, but the first time that I was faced with this grief yeah. or this impending grief was, uh, you know, just so shocking, so shocking. And with this at this point after we had gone through it so many times it was like okay this is happening what are we going to do how are we going to approach it so you've had five years of loss yeah, almost continually yeah now when i ask this question i don't want this to sound flippant in any way no that's okay have you gotten good at dealing with loss by virtue of it oh, yeah. happening one thing after yes. the other yeah Hundred percent. Okay, so I'm in. That confidently, <laughs> we are we are in your hands now. I'm going to let you shepherd this pathway. Yeah. From here, I want to know where we take this. The current part of the journey that you're on right now, mm-hmm. what it is you actually do when you function in this role, you know, mm. the schooling you did, where. Um, so let's call that the genesis part of the story. Yeah. 
I'm going to assume well, it's long, I, but I, it is. Is that right? So is that yeah, is there more it. to it no, in terms of? No, no. If that's, I mean, that sounded flippant. Like, is there more? No. No. At this moment, yeah. <laughs> the most recent thing was the loss of my mother-in-law. She died in January. Okay. So yeah. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. It's you know we're talking like this. It's easy to just be like, oh man, I'm sorry. I'm so I get it. It's right. okay. I'm yeah. I'm exhausted by my own story, so it's fine. <laughs> no, I get that. I get that. So. On the, uh, you, you have to re- re- remind me. So yeah. on your socials, you are referred to as a grief uh, therapist, counselor. How does what's so? This? I'm not a grief therapist. I'm I'm not a, a grief counselor. And I think that I realized myself. So I did some one-on-one coaching. Okay. At, I was working for Bob Kemp Hospice for a few years. So I did a bunch of grief work with them. Um, ultimately, it ended up in me doing the one-on-one um, grief coaching. Um, and so my mother-in-law died at Bob Kemp. And after she, she died there, I thought it was at the, at the moment I thought I'm going to pull away from here for a bit. It was just, it felt a little bit close and I was going through a lot at the time and I didn't feel like I was in a, a safe position for myself to be supporting other people. So in, when I was there, I was, yeah, a grief coach. But when I was doing that, I kind of realized that I like doing the one-on-one. I really enjoy meeting people. I really like supporting people one-on-one. But what I think I am is more of a grief educator and a okay. grief specialist cool. um, because I don't put all of my time into supporting people one-on-one. Ultimately, what I want to do is create a community and educate and provide support at the same time, but also provide other people with the skills to support each other. Okay. So, yeah. so uh, I, I'm, I'm forgetting my own timeline work here. So. Yeah. Can you remind me if you haven't already, what was the, what was the jumping off point where like, I'm going to get into educating and supporting people through the, the realm of grief. What was that m- moment where you're like, now it's my turn to help. Yeah. So it, it kind of came in a way where I, after my dad died, I started just writing about my grief, but writing about it publicly. So I mm. was writing on my Facebook and the reason I did it on Facebook was because um, my dad had like this bizarre amount of Facebook friends and he, all of our family is on there. So when I was writing about it, I wanted them to see it. Mm. I wanted them to, to understand what we were going through. I wanted them to see the impact that he had. Um, and I also just wanted to talk about grief cause I just didn't know where else to do it. Mm. Um, and in a way it was almost like I was telling him like, Hey, listen, you know, it's been six months now since you've been gone. I didn't write about, it. I didn't write it in that way where I was writing to him but it felt as though I was doing that in, an, in a non-direct kind of way. Right. Um, and then I just kept doing it, kept doing it. And then um, a friend of mine who I was working with, she was the director of Bob Kemp Hospice at the time. She said, hey, can I, can I share some of your writing? I said, yeah, of course you can. Um, and then I reached out to her because what I had found was through my own um, search for grief support, I had tried going to a counselor. It, it just wasn't right for me at the time. Um, and then I just discovered this world of grief Instagrams and I was like, wow, like there are other people who are my age, who are dealing with this in the same way that I am, who have lost their parents, who have gone through so many other things and they exist here. Did that excite you? Was there like a realm of like hope and excitement? Like, oh my God, there's there's a world here. Yes. I was like, this is great. You know, it was passive. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to talk to anyone. I just had to, I just observed. I was, Mm. I would be scrolling, doing my regular whatever. But that's healing too, is to take something in the, into the, into the, uh, 
the window of your soul when, uh-huh. when your eyes behold something and take it in there is healing in that totally just from an image absolutely okay. absolutely keep going um so i you know the more i shared my own story the more i was looking at these things and i thought this is this is great that people like this you know yeah. can i maybe i can do something like that and this was in uh this was 2019 so this was that that year my daughter was born the year before the pandemic and i reached out to um Claire Freeman, who was the director of Bob Kemp, I'd mentioned. I said, I have an idea. Like, can we talk about this idea? And she was like, yes, totally. She brought me in and I said, what if, you know, I, I'm thinking about doing like an Instagram. <laughs> and uh, she said, okay, great. She basically was like, let's do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, awesome. Like, what are the parameters? We came up with some parameters. It was under Bob Kemp and the account was called Emerging Grief. And I grew that account and I had just over, I almost had 6,000 people following me by the time I, I decided that I didn't want to do it anymore. So that was just over a year ago. And so it, it grew to like a fair sized wow. community yeah. um, in a, not a very long period of time. And um, that I was like, okay, I really like doing this. And then I started doing podcasts and talking about it. So in this, the same kind of capacity we are now, and then I, um, you know, did some, had some conversations with the CBC about emerging grief, about the Instagram community and how supportive and helpful the Instagram community is. I did um, a, like a panel conversation at, uh, losing words, like an event, uh, talked about um, the, how useful Instagram is for, for grief. And, and you just continue to see this grief Instagram world grow and grow and grow. Um, so you're you're riding an organic wave that is kind it was, of it was cool taking yeah. care of itself. Yeah, can you feel your words and your story impacting a listener in real time? Can you see? I never know. I don't really ever know. I never really know. And I think you know the nicest thing I can get is when people reach out to me and they say your account has been so helpful helpful for me. And I'm just, every time I'm shocked because wow. I, I just don't know. You want to be supportive and you want to be helpful, but you really never, you never know until they say it to you. Does that heal you? I would say um, it makes me feel like, I wouldn't say heal. I wouldn't say heal. I would say it just, I'm happy to hear that someone else is, is maybe healing. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it's an interesting question because people say, oh, do you feel like you're like doing this work is, is helpful for you? And I would say, yes, it is helpful for me. Absolutely. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't helpful for me in, in some way. Yeah. But the idea comes more from just wanting to close this gap of uh, we're isolating people who are in grief and it's just so unnecessary. It is so unnecessary. It's, you know, we, we huddle and we group around, um, people who have just had babies, you know? Oh, that's so good. And we don't, but we, and we do it for a minute, right? We do it for a minute when somebody dies really in the, in the grand scheme of things. But every year we're celebrating the birth. Your baby's a year, your baby is two years, whatever, 13, all these milestones, but we're forgetting about the days that people die. Those days are just as important. That is. I don't think it's that profound, but. No, no. (laughs) It is profound because we don't live there. Our minds don't go there. No, it's scary. And I say to people, talking about death is not going to make you die. 
talking about grief is not going to make someone in your life die. It's not going to. It's don't be afraid of it. It's not contagious. Death is not contagious. See, you're you're used to the topical. Yes, and, material, and I have to uh, I have right? to recognize that. And um, it is a profound concept because we don't do that. No, we don't. Because we're afraid of that. There's like an old fashioned like uh, pilgrim era superstition about death. Mm-hmm. And why do we want to revisit that and knock on that door again year after year and and camp there? Yeah, and uh, that is that is a for me anyway. I'm I'm big on pictures. Yes, we sell up, we huddle around that baby. Yeah, we don't want to we don't want to hang around longer than we have to with death. No, that's why you know in conversation we say things that we think. So, for example, if you're saying to somebody, um, uh, you know, let's say you know your dad died. Oh, I'm so sorry, your dad died. Was he sick? And you say, well, no, actually, he wasn't. Um, or if you say, for example, okay, yeah, you, you, your dad died. You, they say, was, was he sick or were they sick? Uh, you say, yes. That allows for them to feel some relief because that's, oh, okay, that he was sick. Okay, I get it. It, it. It's relieving for them. The question is not for you, right? The question is for mm. them. The question is not you answering that and saying, um, oh, yeah, they were sick. Does the answer, does that make you feel any better by saying, yes, they were sick? Like the answer, it helps them to relieve some of their anxiety around it. Oh, they were sick, then they should have died. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Whereas if you were to say, no, they weren't sick, actually, that's, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Oh my God. Well, what happened? Of course, that's curiosity, but it's also like, I need to get down to this because if I don't know, then maybe I'm going to die. And I want to feel better about this situation. I don't really care about you feeling better in this situation. This conversation is now about me and making me feel better because this is uncomfortable as hell. But you, we, we need to understand that we need, we need to learn how to just embrace these people in the situation and meet them where they're at instead of trying to fix it or make yourself right. feel better. See, you're, you're spitting truth um, in that a way. That was a little confusing, but I'm tired. No, no, no. no. I, I, these are revelations that you get from being camped out in that kind of battlefield. Yes. What other truths have you, or revelations have you oh boy. come to that you think are worth mentioning for people? Uh, so I just had a conversation and I think that this is topical because we, we are living right now in Hamilton where there is a, uh, you know, a drug crisis, right? We're in an opioid crisis. Lots of people who are experiencing homelessness and, um, we, especially we're on James street right now. So right around the corner, you know, there's a lot of it. Right. Yeah. And what we I had just had a conversation with, um, uh, this woman who her name is Alyssa and she's the executive director of an organization called grief stories. And what we talked about was drug poisoning. Um, and one thing we were, we were talking about is, you know, Lots of people in our community right now are losing people to drug poisoning, to overdoses, right? Um, and we need to learn how to actually talk about that and and not just bypass it and label it as this is a problem. We're forgetting about the actual people that exist behind the problem. And yes, drug addiction maybe was a part of their life, but it wasn't the whole thing. They were people outside of that. So when we're remembering somebody who has died of drug poisoning, 
you know, we need to also be in a position where we can talk about their drug addiction. Like, yes, they were addicted to drugs. We're not going to bypass it. We need to normalize and break this stigma of somebody dies of, you know, dies by suicide or dies by a drug overdose. We, we can acknowledge the death and break down the stigma, but also acknowledge the person at the same time. They're not completely different. They can live together. They right. can live together. It's uncomfortable for people. But you can, in fact, acknowledge that somebody struggled with mental health and died by suicide or struggled with addiction and, and you know, died from their uh, addiction. But also say, you know, they were actually a really great person. Yeah, you know, I know they, they really struggled so long with, with addiction and, and it really sucks. I hate that this happened. But also they were this and that right. and, and embracing the person as a whole, right? And I thought that that was really interesting because you do see folks on the street and it's, it's hard to recognize that person outside of their addiction. Not like it's really up to us to it's do true. that every day, it's but they are people, right? Yeah. So that, that is one, another thing, and I say that just because it was um, something we were talking about just recently. Oh, there's a lot, though. Well, let, are, me, let, me, let me ask another question, and sure. you, can, you can circle back to sure. that. Um, and these are all kind of unfair questions because there's so much circumstantial mm-hmm. scenarios with innumerable possibilities and outcomes. But mm-hmm. if I could, if I could submit a, a two pronged question, sure. um, you lose someone close to you. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you need to pack into your survival survival bag to survive it? Mm-hmm. And someone close to you lost somebody. Okay. What do you arm yourself with to not be patronizing, to be yeah. present and available and to be a help? What do we do? So, yeah, I'll answer the, the supporting someone first because okay. I think that this, this is a question a lot of people have. It's really hard to know what to do to support somebody in grief. Um, and I think that it's an, on, it's an ongoing process, right? Just like we were talking about with birthdays, we celebrate them, right? We acknowledge this person being alive. We have to acknowledge the grief forever. You know, if you choose to support somebody in their grief, it's a really great thing to continue to do that for them. So, you know, um, one thing people talk about is putting in your calendar, saying, hey, you know, when... Uh, what's the date that your dad died again? What, what date was that? Put it in your calendar. Set a reminder so that you get a reminder every year. The days come up. Hey, I'm thinking about you today. Really, really easy. But it's just too easy for people to forget. Um, another thing, and I was talking about this a little bit before, just meeting people where they're at, right? Not trying to fix right. someone because right. it is too easy. And we were, we're taught to try and make someone feel better. We're taught to try and make people feel better which in some circumstances I think is okay. But a lot of the time I think it's really valuable. There's so much value in validating somebody and meeting someone where they're at. So just talking about their feelings, allowing them to talk, or even sitting in a situation where maybe we're just going to watch some movies and, and sit in silence. It's meeting someone where they're at. What do you feel like doing? How are you feeling right now? Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to like, like, yeah, it, that's, I had a friend pass, just inside a month ago, oh, um, wow. he worked with me in the kitchen and f- from a young, young lad, I sold yeah, him, I, awesome. I sold him a guitar and he, mm-hmm. I was definitely 
there was a mentorship there for a season and um he used to always hashtag like i want to be like rocky like he kind of looked up to me at the, at the time he was young and impressionable okay. and um we kind of you know part of ways and he he died of a drug over, overdose mm-hmm. um and it was an open casket and mm-hmm. he, you know he did not look like him no yeah and i was i was actually i didn't know what i was more dreading mm-hmm. seeing him in the casket mm-hmm. and what the hell i would say to his parents yeah, that's because a good point. I'm a parent, and I'm like, and, and I and I kind of knew them, mm-hmm. and I knew that they would recognize me, but there was not a relationship there. Sure, and it's like, what the hell do you say to them? Yeah, they're standing in front of their I dead know. son. I know, that's you know, with with question. with my friend who was uh, she was his sister. Yeah, I knew all I needed to do was just hug her. Yeah, and that would be enough. Yeah. And she fell into my chest and started yeah. crying. Yeah. But it's the people that you don't know well. Yeah. And sometimes it's literally acknowledging that and just saying, there are, are no words right. I can share with you right now that, right. that will take your pain away. And that's the so. true, that's the, the most honest thing you can say. And that's, yeah. that is very dragry with that. I, I, I don't, I'm, I think, and I may have said that. Yeah. You may not remember. You know what? That. They made it so easy for me. Yeah. They were, they were absolute rock stars. Yeah. But in another scenario, it could have been a lot more awkward, but I, I was. I felt very selfish. I'm like, but uh, this is gonna feel it's weird. Okay. Yes, it's okay. But it is. We don't know any different. Yeah. Coming in to this world and having this conversation, you know, I could, yeah. I could say, do this, do that, whatever. But you know, people don't know what to do. People mm-hmm. don't know what to do. And it's okay to to come into those situations and acknowledge that. Okay, I'm feeling selfish right now. Right. I'm feeling like I'm making this about me when it's not about me. So acknowledging those feelings is really important. And a lot of people won't do that because even acknowledging those feelings is really scary for people. But if you can acknowledge them and place them and say, okay, I recognize how I'm feeling, why I'm feeling this right now. What can I do about that? Right. So, okay, take this away from me. This scenario is not actually about me. And really in the moment when you are at a visitation, for example, typically, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter what you're saying in those moments because it's such a heightened state. There are so many people around. Yeah. From so, my experience, at least, I don't remember a lot. Right. Of course not. Um, but it's it's more and yes, in those moments, you do want to be careful. You know, you don't want to say something stupid. But there's a, there's definitely a fine line. You know, saying I'm so sorry for your loss in those moments. It's not incorrect. It's not incorrect. I, I feel like saying a little is 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 more is more than saying yeah. too much. Yeah. And just giving them that knowing look. You know what? The one thing I did do, I was like, you know what? You know how I can do something? Yeah. Who needs a coffee? Totally. That and practical. You, you've been right? standing at this ca- casket for four hours. Yeah. I'm getting you a coffee and some Timbits. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants what? And that's great. And I was like, this was good. Useful. It was practical good for them. things yeah. to do. Yeah. 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 That's a huge thing. Doing things. Right. And I think another big thing is, is a lot of people say, um, uh, you know, what can I do for you right now? So you get a text and I, I'll be there. You let me know what you need. Let right. me know what you need. You just do it. But exactly. Just you it. just have to take the, the initiative yeah. and do it. And, and maybe you say, okay, well, I'm just going to go to the grocery store, pick up a few things. 
you just have to put out of your head that you might be getting the wrong things because it doesn't really matter. It's that you're helping them in a time of need, you know? And if you are going to go to the grocery store, pick up essentials, you know, don't, don't buy like a guava, you know, like buy, (laughs) buy some essential things, get some garbage bags, you know, get some stuff that, that you know that they probably have in their home, like dish soap, you know, toilet paper, whatever, right? Survival things. I I feel like this is something I want to share with you because I feel like you would get it. Um, Two parts. My grandmother, who helped raise me, who was like a second mother, Jesse, mm-hmm. Jesse Riccatoni, mm-hmm. rock star, um, had pancreatic cancer, and uh, she was fearless. Okay. And she she said, "I'm going to give you my debit card. I don't need this anymore." <laughs> Rocky, go buy groceries for the house. And I went with my girlfriend at the time and we just overwhelmed the house with treats and, and awesome, abundant food. Yeah. And it was like this active, alive act that she was still providing for us through letting me go out and do yeah. it. I just feel compelled. I want to share this with you because I want you to know some of my story. Sure. Please. Because we're two humans at a table. Yeah. Um, she was days away from dying and we had a pastor kind of giving her her last mm-hmm. rites and praying for her. And everybody was around her mm-hmm. crying and weeping and wailing. And I came in late and through all the hubbub and the hurricane of emotions and loudness, she caught my eye and she saw me come in the room. She was bloated and she didn't look like herself. And mm. she pulled away from that moment and she, she caught my eye and she smiled at me and she winked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, I know I'm dying. Yeah. And everyone over me is crying, but I see you, Rock, yeah, yeah. and uh, I'm winking at you. Yeah, that's such a nice moment. Oh, man. And then I had a, uh, I had a professor on with me, and we were talking about death and mm-hmm. losing someone. And I said, you know, Mark, I was crying at the funeral because I was grieving for my loved ones, yeah. grieving for her. But I have never, to this day, shed a tear for her. Mm. And he's like, why do you think that is? And I said, I know exactly why that is. I had this revelation. Mm -hmm. She loved me so perfectly Mm -hmm. and completely and consistently Mm -hmm. that my heart is still full. Yeah, I love that. There was nothing to cry about. Yeah. And I was like, something's wrong with me. I haven't cried for her. And I was like, that's got to be it. And I said to him, I was like, Mark, you know what's amazing is that as a father now, I hear her yeah. when I love my kids. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it, and, and I think that is, and does I can't. That, does I can't, that make you choke up at all, though? <sighs> when, when it comes to your own kids and remembering. Oh, no, no. Now, when I, when, I, when I communicate things through the, the filter of being a father. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, oh, it's very different. <laughs> it's a different ballgame. But, yeah, it's, um, I came by that through osmosis. I can't say, you know, I did, I did that right. I didn't plan that. No, that, was a, that was a retro, retrograde realization like, mm-hmm. oh. But that, I feel like, is, is an incredibly healthy perspective of grief. It is, yeah. Um, yeah. But that happened to me. I didn't make that decision. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I just needed to, really I, nice story, I needed to lay yeah. that on the table because yeah, y- y- you needed to know that, I think. It's, you know, that's interesting, though. In the same, same kind of capacity, I guess, I had I had a great relationship with my dad. Mm-hmm. I really did. I had such a great relationship with my dad. And you know, people often talk about like do you 
you know, last words or wanting to say something. And I, I can fairly confidently say that there, there wasn't anything that I would have wanted to say to him. Now there's a million things I want to tell my dad, but in the moment of when he died, I, I wasn't missing that. I wasn't like, I really just, you know, I need those last words. I need mm. to tell this to my dad. I need to, I had none of that. I had mm. none of it. And it is a reflection of my relationship with my dad. And I feel very lucky because it's just not the case for everybody. Mm. And, and the same with you, you know, you're so lucky to have that. Yeah. It's really beautiful to, to have that ability to feel so full when you reflect on your grief that it's, Really nice, really nice. The grief is almost non-existent. I, I, I have regrets like, oh, my, oh. To, to my wife, Lauren, I'm like, I wish you could have met my grandma. She would have loved you and you would have loved her. Yeah. She would have loved my kids. Yeah. I was her favorite. Yeah. Sorry, cousins. Yeah. I great. was. <laughs> because I was the firstborn. Yeah. And, you know, that's a whole other story. But we had a very unique dynamic. And um, I, it's those moments mm-hmm. where I'm like, shit. Yeah. That would have been great. Know. You know I what know. I mean? Yeah. Uh, now, I'm also full of shit because I, there are other things that I've been like, if this happens, I'm done for. Yeah. But I'm that's fair, though. Done for. Yeah. And uh, I remember my friend of mine tried to get me to read the, the book, The Shack, about you know this, this, this okay. uh, father who loses his child. Nope. I'm like, no. Nope. I don't think so. No. <laughs> I think I'm going to skip that one. <laughs> Thank you, though. <laughs> so, well, I, I think about this quote when you talk about your grandmother. There is a quote from, oh, my God, this show and I'm going to get the quote wrong, but I'm going to get the gist of it. Right. And it is what is grief, but love everlasting. Yeah. I've I've heard an iteration of that. Yeah. I know where you're going with that, but I feel like that incorrect quote probably um, encompasses almost a perfect grief experience. Right. And maybe that is, you know, it's not to say that you you don't miss your grandmother or miss what the relationship that could have been between she and your wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's knowing it's being able to place that the reason why I'm not crying is because I'm so full yeah. of love still. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, that's exactly what that quote is. It's wrong. The quote is wrong. Like I said, but it's something like that. You know, I think that one of the hardest parts about me knowing I'm moving from Hamilton to Guelph and leaving this house is that that's the house that she inhabited. That's hard. And I can say to anybody, I'm like, you pick a corner of this home. Yeah. I'll tell you a story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about her, about anything. Yeah. And I'll be lying in bed uh, telling my kids a story. And I'm like, buddy, did you know that this is Grandma Jessie's room? Yeah, that's to, nice. I used to, to sleep in this room with her. And yeah. uh, we would we walk certain routes to James Street. And I'm yeah. like, I would walk with my grandma with my hand in hers and in her pocket. And yeah. just, just like this. <laughs> and, it's, and it's those moments where, that's really um, see, now I feel choked up. so it's 8 30 how you doing oh i'm fine you okay yeah we're we're about an hour 18 yeah yeah. got another half an hour in you or so oh yeah okay you mentioned you're retired so i don't want to keep you hostage i'm tired all the time but (laughs) (laughs) i'm always tired i'm a mom um i wrote a song and recorded it for my wife Mm -hmm. it's called madly and uh my kids love it Mm -hmm. and they sing it and i sing it with them and they haven't caught this yet, but I know that when I'm gone, mm-hmm. when they listen to that song, they're going to hear me breathing on the track. Yeah. And that is a special thing. 
and I am a emotional pack rat. I am like, I'm aware of moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I collect them. So I often think, you know, what, what can I do to make my kids wealthy with moments of me? Yeah. And I don't know if that's even in your purview of speaking into it, but it's like. No, I can definitely. I, do I, I don't know. I yeah. think that's really it. I, I don't even know if it's a question or a statement. It's just, it's just like, yeah. how can we build moments where we can stay alive for their sake? Yeah. There, I mean, we live in a different time now where there is, there's so much um, that we do that lives. I mean, I hate the internet, but, and I hate technology and whatever, but yeah. so much of us exists digitally yeah. right and it's both a, a great thing and a and a bad thing at the same yeah. time because when so when my mother-in-law died we inherited all of these journals she's an artist so all these paintings all these sketches and awesome. so much physical like tangible yes. stuff yes and it's very cool yes it's really really cool to to read her you know read her reflections on certain times in her life just you know fascinating stuff Lots of my dad's stuff, um, you know, yearbooks, music, like lots, again, lots of tangible stuff. My dad had a studio. So going into that room was like being with him, yeah. right? Which, you know, we had to get rid of and turn it into something else. But there were lots of tangible things. So one thing that I know I need to also get better at is creating pieces of like memory that are tangible pieces, like writing letters. When the hell was kids, anyone right? ever given a, a great letter? Well, like, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So writing letters to your kids. Yep. That is something you can do. Uh, see, but I'm afraid to. Because I get it. It's like writing a will. It's like as soon as you write the will, you die. It's going to happen. But remember what I said before, <laughs> talking about death does not mean that it's going to happen to you. And, it's and, not contagious. And I objectively know that. <laughs> but I'm also not there. I get the fear. But I, know, I know. For me, the, the, the most whack thing is when someone goes together as a couple and go, we're going to pick out our gravestones and we're going to pick out the plot. Yeah, I know. I don't know how many people do that. My, my in-laws do. Did. How old are they? They're early 70s. Well, yeah. You know, yes, I get that. Generationally. But, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you you were saying something before I became um, neurotic about it. No, that's okay. I But I also will say, I think there is a lot of value in the digital stuff too. So yeah. with Nick, for example, he has these CDs, right? And these, we have his voice, right? right. And that's really cool. And yeah. I don't have a lot of that of my dad. You know, I have, I have this video of my parents. So for their 30 fifth anniversary yeah their 35th anniversary they went to new york and uh my they made this video of them on the high line and they sent it to my sister and i and that is the like the last video and quite possibly one of the only videos of my dad actually like speaking into a camera that wasn't from you know some yeah right. right so i cherish that right and I rewatch it over mm. and over and over again, and I could tell you what he says right now, and it's just, but it's not, it's not enough. I want more of that. So interestingly enough, we're talking about this, and this is a ridiculous kind of tangent, but um, AI is really crazy. Yes. <laughs> and um, 
I believe, and there is there are articles and there's evidence, you know, talking about being able to recreate or have dialogues with your loved one, you know, post mortem, um, using their voice in an AI capacity. I don't know how I feel about that. I have no doubt this, they could do that. This is a whole yeah. other conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they can already recreate your voice, right? Like they can, I don't know, they, who are they? AI, whatever. Um, anyway, that's a totally different thing. My other, like my, my daytime job, I work at, um, in, at Innovation Factory, which is inside McMaster Innovation Park. So I work with startups and um, we talk a lot about the future of <laughs> digital things and technology. When the hell did AI become this thing, by the way? Oh, man. Will you come back for chapter two conversation? Uh, man. I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> would you do that? Would you, would you have a conversation? So I, I'm assuming that you would, you would, give, you would give them quantifiable uh, writings, moments, personality. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think, so I think about it now. I'm like, would I go to a space um, and have a conversation with my dad's voice. So for me, I think that's such a, that's only one part of who my dad was and the whole physical portion is still very much missing. And I don't know if it would just make me feel worse. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're dealing, you're dealing with a count. It could go either way. It's like, well, this know. is a counterfeit. It's like eating a bag of chips, or it could be like right. oh, this it's a band aid. It's not. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. something to chew on, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, and a lot of time people too. We're somewhere else right now, but people ask me about mediums, right? How do you feel about a medium? And the the reason I I got here is because I started to think of when I'm missing my dad. What are the things that I do? And there was a point where if I was missing him, I would start googling mediums, right? And I had really only met with one, and it was terribly disappointing. You did meet with one. I did, yeah. It was disappointing. I have nothing but bad reviews to say about it. And that's not to say that they all are, but my experience was not great. How soon after your father passed that you, that you uh, pursued that? It was actually when, um, it was in 2020. So it was quite a few years after. Well, quite a few, three. Was it the loss of Nick that kind of pushed you into kind that? Kind of, yeah. yeah, kind of. Because there was a lot of talk about mediums and stuff around that time when he was dying. We There was exploration of other like spirituality things and where are you on the spiritual spectrum of things i don't really know are you agnostic i would say so because there's heavy heavy christian roots there with through your dad <laughs> I know. did your dad retain his his faith and spirituality no 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 no, no. Okay. that was part of the one of the reasons why he left was um because of it he just didn't agree with a lot of it okay. um so we were never raised it i am baptized greek orthodox greek orthodox yeah. Okay. Or because the Macedonian thing. Macedonian, gotcha. So yeah, I yeah, was yeah. baptized in a Greek Orthodox church Hardcore. when I was 16. 16. <laughs> That's a whole. I'd pay a lot of money to see that. Whole other conversation, but. Time to um, go under. Dunk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, wouldn't recommend. Yeah. Um, but at, anyway, what I was saying is that, you know, I would seek out this medium conversation and I realized the reason I was doing it was because I wanted to feel closer to my dad. Right. And it was, it was not serving that purpose yeah. for me. I was out 90 bucks and I was just angry. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of value in that for lots of people. Lots of people love to go to mediums and it's really helpful for a lot of people. Um, 
I just don't find it that way. I know that I have to find another way to feel close to my dad. That's the next question I want to ask. What, what is the medium, no pun intended, that you use yeah. to find him? I guess, you know, music is a big thing. And I will say that I still, I still struggle with listening to music. It's really hard for me. Music that I really enjoy music. is tough for me to listen to. Why? Because of... It feels a little too close. I just... What do you mean? I don't know. I, it, I can listen to Top 40, no problem. I don't care. But, it, you know, listening to jazz or listening to bands that I actually enjoy, I just get too emotional. Music is a very emotional experience for me. Does it take you away to the space of your dad? Yeah, it does. And it's not always even about him. It's just, I feel... Like you're not allowed to enjoy something? No, no, no. I I just feel it deeply. And I don't, I can't explain it other than that. If I put something on and it can, I can switch, my mood can switch very quickly if I'm listening to something that, um, like if I'm having a great day and even if it's music that I really like that is also upbeat, I, it affects me so I, I don't want to leave here yet <laughs> I don't want to leave here yet because yeah. music is is a uh, music saved my life before I had a spiritual breakthrough okay. yeah music is everything yeah um yes. and I feel music very deeply yeah um I don't want to leave this yet yeah I, can we camp out here a little bit more like can sure, you yeah. can you try to explore yeah it's bizarre like can you try try your best not to fly over this one with with a high-speed jet let's yeah. let's jump in here and can you unpack that a little bit do you I, do you even know how to like have you figured that out yet well i just know that you know growing up in, in our house my my house you know music was very very it was hugely important and not in a way where it was like intentionally putting on certain records or whatever my parents just listened to whatever they wanted and it just became a part of my childhood so i know lots of music you know my dad listened to everything from you know, Gregorian chants to George Gershwin and the Beatles and, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, like all over the place. Right. Good for you. Lucky you, man. That's, that's all. That's a, that's a rich childhood. Uh, Yes. We listen to lots. Love it. And, um, I want to be able to provide that experience to my children, but personally I find listening to music so hard. And I think a lot of it for me, I know, living in nostalgia. And that was a big thing for my dad too. Um, I can get really nostalgic and it can, I can get very emotional as a result of that nostalgia. So it's a protective thing. Totally. And of course it is absolutely 1000%. Now it's does the, does the nostalgia always take you back to dad? Um, yeah. And it, not necessarily, I would say my childhood, but a big part of that was my dad was my mom too. My mom, you know, my mom was putting on, she was the one listen to, <laughs> You know, I'm trying to think. James Taylor, huge, right? My mom listened to James Taylor all the time. So why would you not want to go back there? It just takes me back to, to, takes me back to my childhood. And is it which, distracting and pull you away from your uh, responsibilities? Yeah, it's absolutely distracting. Okay. And um, yeah, like I can think of like Katie Lang songs my dad listened to all the time. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, yeah. That soundtrack is, I know every song. Katie Lang has the perfect vibrato. Yeah, we love Katie Lang. What's your favorite Katie Lang song? Uh, Okay, I'm trying to think. So I was in grade six uh when I first saw her, and I couldn't make heads and tails of this because Mm -hmm. I knew she sounded like a a woman. Yes, but yeah. But she had this androgynous vibe. Yes. No one was doing that. Yeah, no, no. And I was like, who is this person? But, but. 
I was, I knew I was witnessing something very unique. Yeah. Um, and then that was it. The rest is history. And yeah. I'm like, cause I'm a stickler with music and, and by, yeah. by broad, I'm highly critical. And yeah, I'm like, totally that performer yeah. has the perfect vibrato. Yeah. My dad loved Kayling and I'm sure he would have something to say about that. <laughs> I feel like I would love to chat with your dad. Yeah. Yeah. He would have a lot to say. Yeah. All you right. Know, near the end. So I will just say this yeah. one thing about my dad near the end there, he, because he was working at this recording arts school, a lot of, um, the students there were production students. So they were working, it was the studio side of things. And, um, he was trying to expand his knowledge into like hip hop and, um, you know, electric music. And, um, he really started to dive into Kendrick Lamar oh, and, shit. and, uh, I have his Kendrick Lamar CD still cause he loved it. He knew all the, I don't want Damn. To. That's impressive, man. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. He had a very wide, that's good. That, that, I wouldn't say it's courage. I, that, that is like, he did everything. Every absolute refusal to collect, to yeah. collect dust creatively. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah, huge. God, my dad would never. Good never. job, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Where do you want to go from here? What do you mean? <laughs> well, no, no, no. <laughs> Existentially. Yeah, uh, where are we? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like I feel like this is actually part of the process though, is now we're we're kind of migrating into like personal stories. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and I think yeah. I think that's okay. Um, is there any data points that we that you think is relevant and important to touch on before we go too far afield with other stuff? I mean, I just, I think that this is just a perfect example of being able to just live, you know, naturally moving into this conversation yeah. and exchanging memories and my just talking about my dad easily. This is an example of, of we just live with grief, right? And this is one of the reasons. But it can feel like this though. It can, yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So, and this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm trying to create this community because hmm. it's so important to create this space for people and that we just need to be able to talk about our people and our grief like it's anything else, which is a really hard thing to do and it's challenging for people. But if we start to create the space for that and allow for that to happen, um, it'll start happening more. I'll tell you what, if, if we can ever help out with a space that you need to physically use. Yeah, I would love it. You let me know. St. James cleans up really nice at night. It looks great right now. Yeah, I love it here at night. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful space. So you let me know about that. So, um, oh man, <laughs> I'm thinking about all the people that I've lost that, uh, you know, here, here's, a, here's an interesting, we, we might as well just go there and just fully flesh out the human side of this. But sure. I remember my grandfather, Sam's face, my son Sam's named after Sam. Okay. And he he was a, professional piano player and a barber. Oh, no way. And my son has a gift with piano. So my dad was a pianist. So that, that really? I should say. So my dad was a musician, but he was a pianist that and was, a composer. That was his, okay. Yeah. And and he also played trombone in a big band and Sam wants to play trombone as well. And, okay. and he doesn't know anything. So did my dad. My dad really? Yeah. yeah. And, I can and, find a picture actually of him playing. And I'd love to see that. My and, but, and my son Sam didn't know that my grandfather played that. So there's this weird echo thing going on through the lines there. But um, I remember my grandfather, he, I was always fast. You know how you're fascinated with the, the little picadillos of your, your parents or your grandparents. Totally. Um, my grandfather could furl his brow and I'd be fascinated at the consistent 
lines, the lumpy lines on his, and I'd make him do it and I'd touch it and pull it. And then he'd, he'd, yeah. And then he'd, he'd squeeze, you know, his, his, you know, his eyes together and I'd be, I'm like, Oh my God, that's the, and and I I remember I was fascinated with my grandmother's best friend's feet. I don't know why, (laughs) but, but those, those weird things. Right. But so I, in the last year and a half, I've dropped about close to 200 pounds. Wow. So I got some loose skin. Okay. My kids love yeah. my, my loose. They, my, my daughter Layla water boats my arms, my, my fingers. They touched my they touched my loose skin on my belly, and I have to like, I have had to make this conscious effort oh to not God. shy away from that, so I don't give them the idea that uh, that's something to be ashamed, ashamed of, of, right? But I posted about this, and I'm like, you know, I spent 25 years in shame mm-hmm. about my body image, like deep dark loathing. Mm-hmm. But now on the other side of it, I watch my children find joy. Yeah, isn't that nice? And warmth and solace in yeah. daddy's loose skin. Yeah. <laughs> but to them, they yeah. don't know the price I paid for that. No. All they know is that it's indicative of a part of dad. Yeah. And they love and it. They and love and it. they don't want me to do the surgery to lose it. No. Um, and there's really nothing else. There's no point to that story. It's just, it's, it's, uh, now I'm just into the realm of sharing those moments where history yeah. repeats itself and, yeah. and things become surreal. It's like, oh my God, I did this with my grandfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen any of those aha moments where I was like, oh my God, I remember this when I was this age. Oh my, all the time. Happening to you as a parent. Yeah, all the time. And it's like, oh my God, this is how all history the repeats itself. Yeah. The, yeah, the biggest is like, I have these vivid memories as a child, you know, just playing in the bathtub, right? Like all my little toys, my little things, right? I had these um, 101 Dalmatians, little tiny 101 Dalmatians, plastic, garbage, whatever. And yeah, you just play with them. You put your knees up and you're like, slide down your knees, whatever. And then, you know, you get your mom involved and (laughs) yeah, I'm on the other side and I can hear Eva, my daughter, and she's like playing these little games like, and I'm like, what? I'm not talking to you. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, all right. Isn't it funny? Yeah. You can't outrun it. No, I know. History repeats itself. I know, but it is, it's nice though. You know, we are privileged in that these are the moments that we are spending with our family and that we can reflect on. And I feel so lucky you know yeah that we can that yeah you can have that do you dream about your dad so interesting that you say this i just had a dream about him the other night really like how recently like in the last week like not last night but the night before was this the first dream no so the the thing is with the dreams that i have of my dad they're not good dreams they're mm. never good they're always so typically what happens i'm like he shows up and i'm like he has faked his death and I'm angry that he's appeared. And I'm like, why are you here? Like one of the dreams I had, he showed up, it was Christmas. So my dad died around Christmas. I was like, okay, that's the relation there. And he walks through the front door and, um, and I was like, why are you here? Like, really? I said, every, you know, we're all angry at you. Why are you here? And my mom was like, listen, like dad is here. We just have to enjoy this Christmas. We have to just enjoy it. And I was like, no, like I'm angry. And that kind of scenario will play out often. Interesting. The other dream, I, so the dream I had just the other night, he was driving and he was having a heart attack while he was driving. And he was like, pa- like passing out. And I was trying to stop the car from, from like moving. Um, that, was, that was 
definitely scary. <laughs> yeah, that was a scary dream. And I woke up and I was like, ooh, I did not enjoy that. Something so yeah, there. I've never had like a nice dream about my dad. Never. Is, this, is that telling for you? No, I don't really know why that happens. I don't know. I don't understand it. Like I know I was like, there was some anger for sure. And just like, my dad was the type of person that thought he was like invincible. Right. He never talked about dying. He never thought the possibility of it. He ate like shit. Okay. He smoked like, you know, my dad was looked like he was fit, but the so man had the arteries probably uh, like uh, clearly his arteries were awful. He ate like shit. So you're subconsciously pissed that he, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah we okay. all are. Okay. We're all, all right. we all are. You know, mm. he just was like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm going to be fine. going to be fine. But and he was, he was 57 when he passed. Yeah. 57. 57. Hmm. So, and all of, you know, his brothers, they have heart problems and I'm obviously afraid now. And right. I'm so much like my dad. I'm like, I went to the doctor right after he died. I said, um, I need a cardiologist. Give me a rundown. Yeah. And they were like, how old are you? I said, I'm 27 or 28. They were like, you don't need a cardiologist. <laughs> I like, yes, I do. <laughs> give me a cardiologist now. <laughs> And needless to say, they didn't give me one, and I still don't have one. But you get worried, you know? So there was one thing I did want to say about (laughs) that I wanted to come back to. So a really interesting thing about... um, So Greek Orthodox funerals are a very huge production. They're massive. And they last a long time, and they're always open casket. And part of one of the rituals that they do is they put things inside the casket so that they can give these items to people in heaven when they get there. So I don't know if you remember me saying at the beginning when I bought my dad, those Seinfeld socks. Yes. So, um, I, my dad did have a visitation and it was open casket. I did not go. I said, no, thank you. I'm not going to that. My mom went and my mom's, um, I don't know if my mom's family went, but it was for my dad's brother. So my dad's brothers went and I gave my mom the socks. <laughs> and I said, give these to dad. I love it. So he can have them. I love it. <laughs> and he can get them wherever he ends up. <laughs> I did the same thing with my grandmother. I had a, I was like, I need to give her a note. And uh, yeah. I found a post-it note. And she used to always say to me, you and me all the way, Rocky. Oh, that's really sweet. So I wrote that. And nice. I put it uh, you know, in there with her. Yeah. Because I'm like, again, I'm a pack rat. And then I, I, I cut out her name and birth date after her funeral card and I put it yeah. underneath my electronic patch of my my Les Paul guitar yeah, yeah. who I actually sold to my friend who passed away oh, okay. and I saw that guitar was flanking his his casket oh yeah it's very bizarre to see all these different moments of your life with their life and, yeah no kidding but uh yeah um interesting story so my purview is, you know, I I, I always I grew up with a, with a Christian purview with, mm-hmm. in my in my life and there was always somebody at one point or another in my family that was doing it. And mm-hmm. I, at 24, I ended up uh, finding a church and, you know, mm-hmm. still have my faith and all that. And uh, my grandfather was always kind of agnostic and bordering okay. on atheist. Okay. And we, he had dementia slash Parkinson's and okay. uh, I went to go see him. And my mom said, honey, I think grandpa's going to go soon. And can you just pray with him? Mm-hmm. And this is where our, our roads will diverge. But again, I, I, you've paid a hefty price for sharing your story with me. So I'm going to share some of mine with you. Yeah, so we, we went and my, my, my grandfather was huddled over like a pretzel. Mm-hmm. He couldn't eat. 
he was not himself. He was pale. He looked emaciated. He was hunched over. Yeah. We brought some guitars. We played some music, some like, you know, some worship music. And, mm-hmm. and um, he started to kind of like come upright and color was coming into his face. And I, I asked my friend, uh, Sherry, who is actually the sister of the young man that died. She did a lot of prayer times with dying people. She she had a cleaning company and she met so many people and they loved her and they're like, I'm dying. Will you pray with me? Interesting. And I said, my grandfather's nonverbal. How do how do you pray for someone who can't speak? Mm-hmm. She goes, ask him to squeeze your hand. Hmm. So I I came up to him and said, Grandpa, I'm gonna. Do you want me to pray with you? Mm-hmm. So here's where it gets interesting. He would never really look at you. Okay. And as soon as I asked him if he wanted to pray with me, he locked eyes with me with such intensity. Mm-hmm. I'm like, someone's home in there. Oh, yeah. I said, Grandpa, I want you to agree with me. If you agree with me, I want you to squeeze my hand twice. And if you don't agree with me, squeeze it once. Mm-hmm. And so I walked him through, you know, the whole salvation thing. And I said, do you want to pray? Do you want to like, you know. And he, he gripped my hand in agreement with, you know, the spiritual things that my family believes in mm-hmm. for 10 minutes straight. Like he had the strength of a 40 year old man. We walked out of there and I said to my mom, I'm like, he's going to be gone within the next week. Just so you know. Yeah. Five days later, I had a dream where I was walking out of, it was like a black and white James Bondy kind of scene. Okay. It was like a landscape scene. And the, the I was walking out of the ocean with him and he was young and buff. Like when he was, you know, 35. Okay. Full head of hair, muscles. <laughs> he had varicose veins in his old years. And I looked down and we were coming out of the water and the water was glistening. And, yeah. and I looked down at his, I'm like, grandpa, look at your legs. They look great. And he was like, I know. <laughs> and he it was a happy moment. Yeah. And I woke up from that dream. And an hour later, I got a call and found out that he had died the same time that morning yeah. that I had that dream. And so I had this like, incredible send off with him and I dreamt about him and I had this closure and I was like, wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. I don't know. I mean, I don't really have a point to it. It was just like, I was, I think the point is, is that when you're in an, an impossible situation, when you're looking death in the face and you muster enough courage to look back at it into its eyes Mm -hmm. and lean into it and, Go there with them. Um, it's actually an incredibly powerful thing. It really is. And I'm so grateful I had that opportunity, and I'm so grateful that I had a dream to kind of let me, as a receipt of payment going, it worked. Yeah. I choose to believe that that's what that was. And and uh, that's really it. It's just the story I wanted to say. It's, it's a, it, That's a powerful death moment for me. But, it is. But it was, it was a victorious one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't and know. That, that's nice, you know. A lo- and a lot of people share those those stories. Like, yeah. even I will say with you know with my dad sending that text, you know, there was something there. I, yeah. I'm not sure what that was or yeah. why that happened. Yeah. But he was letting us know, you know, I everything's fine. Like, I'm okay, and I love you. And I was like, hmm. Did you weird? did you did something re- were you remarked by that in the real oh, time? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. But again, that also comes from like my fear, sure, right? <laughs> right? Where I'm like, uh oh, he's gonna die. Right. Your, right? Ra- your radar is always on. We're we're at an hour forty six. We're gonna wind down, but I, I have yeah. a couple more questions. Um, 
<clears throat> going back to the whole spiritual thing, do you find people's perspective of grief differ greatly when someone is a spiritual person versus someone who's more pragmatic and agnostic? Like, do, do, you, do you see those things showing up in different ways? Yes and no. I think that spirituality can really serve um, in a great way for lots of people who are experiencing grief. Yeah. I think it can be very helpful for people. Um, you know, grief exists differently for everyone. And I think that is regardless of whether or not spirituality is there too. So yes, I think, you know, having something spiritual to, to help you um, makes your grief look different just in the same way as someone who doesn't have that right. makes it look different. Yeah. It, it is such a, a unique experience for everybody. Um, Would you put one over the other or do you think people can no, find success? I, I don't way? think so. I, I think that that's interesting. I, I had this woman reach out to me. She said, um, and she was religious. I don't know in what capacity, but she said, I don't know how, or she said, I feel badly for people who don't have God to help them get through their losses. Right. Um, how do they do that? Like, I don't know how they would. And it was interesting because it was the first time that someone had really confronted me directly with their own belief system. And uh, I, I didn't, at first I was like, how do I respond to this? And then I, you know, I thought about it and realized that the person on the receiving end, the person who isn't, doesn't have God, isn't thinking about God being helpful. It's not purposeful for them in any way. It doesn't work for them. They, they're not thinking about it. So the other person who's like, you know, I don't know how they would get through it. I don't know how. They need that. They need it. When in fact, they're not thinking about it at all. Right. They have other ways of getting through their grief. And they're not even thinking about how religion would be helpful. Some people find it. A lot, you know, there are lots of people who find spirituality through their grief. And it serves a great purpose for them. A lot of people leave their spirituality, you know when I talk about before the, the shattering of your assumptive reality or your, your, you know, your existence completely shakes and, and breaks down. So a lot of people lose their faith. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it comes both ways. Some people yep. find it, some people lose it. It's, it's really all over the Interesting. place. You have a fascinating uh, job in the sense that you have a glimpse into humanity in a very unique way. I really like that. I'm very curious to revisit this with you in 20 years and go, so, oh what, so what else have you learned? Do you think it's um, beneficial to this? I don't know why my mind's going here, but like we're going back to the music thing and how mm -hmm. therapeutic and how life-giving it can be. Have you ever thought about playlists for grief? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I did an event actually that was about... Um, about, it was about advanced care planning, so planning for your death when oh. you're in the position, uh, uh, you know, when you're healthy, when you're able to. And we had a lot of conversations with people. Um, we interviewed Keenan Loomis. We interviewed, um, who else? We interviewed lots of, like, community folks. Um, and we said, you know, how do you want to be remembered when you die, right? And we accompanied this event with a playlist that, kind of felt griefy and deathy and some of it was happy and some of it wasn't. And, yeah. <laughs> if only, yeah. Yeah, I think that there's so much value in that and I think everyone's would look so different, you know? Uh, Apple Music 
somehow miraculously created a playlist for me that they refresh every Tuesday and oh. going through what I'm going through. I'm like, how did they know? I needed yeah. this yeah. just the way it is. I know. Plus, yeah, the internet just knows. Yeah. AI, man. <laughs> okay, for real though, last two questions. Uh, <laughs> how do you want to be remembered at this point? Yeah, at, that's at, a good question. At 34. You know, I, I haven't put all that much thought into this. And I think um, if I were to die tomorrow or, you know, yeah, at the age of 34, I would want to be remembered for what I did in this field, I think. It's really important to me. Um, I'd want to be remembered for, you know, being a, a great mother, being a parent, um, this is surreal, by the way. I've never asked this kind of question on this oh, podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> what, a, what a topic. Yeah, it's a big deal. Keep going, yeah. keep going. Um, I don't know. I think I'm pretty funny, and I would want to be remembered for my sense of humor mm-hmm. and ability to bring lightness to things. Um, friendliness, I think, is a big thing. I also feel like this is an interview. <laughs> like, well, it is kind of. They should, but like for a job. Oh. You know what yeah, I mean? Huh? Um, Someone may listen and may... Change your world, you never know. I don't know. There's, I don't know. I'm not sure. And I, yeah, maybe that's it. That's pretty good. I guess. You going to act ever? You ever going to pursue it? No. I did for a bit, right? Like I did a lot of plays. So did I. I did a lot of semi-pro. Yeah. What was your favorite show you ever did? So I did this very small show in university called Railing It Uptown. <laughs> As in like we're taking the trains yeah, uptown? Yes. Okay. It was me and one other person. And she had very few lines, but I had so many. And It was I, a two-person show? Yeah. It was just okay. myself and one other person. And it was a really good show. It was really short. It was like 20 minutes. It was a very short production. Very, very short. But it was really fun. And... Um, I don't know how old was I, maybe 19. It was a great show. You I thought about doing a one-act show based off Grease? Grief? Not Grease. Sorry, not Grease the musical. Grief. I did do Grease, actually. Did too. you? Who I were did. you in Grease? I was Frenchie. I was going to say, were you, were you a pink lady? That's yeah, amazing. Frenchy, yeah. I'd pay a lot of money to see that. Ooh, no. uh, how old were you when you did that? I was in high school. I would have been nice. like 17 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what did you say you said? Would you ever consider doing a one-act, one-person show based no. off grief? No, no, I don't have the no, I'm just being facetious yeah, now. No. <laughs> All right, so the last question is, is, and maybe this is low-hanging fruit, but, but these are the kind of things that I think I actually think about a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's an unfair question, and you don't even have to answer it, but you have, it's like that movie, um, that Disney, the Pixar movie. I will know it if it- it takes place in like fairy tale land and the father, they do a spell and they have the father for 24 hours. Oh yeah. I and love only, that movie. only half the father comes back. It's like his, his torso is missing. But yeah. That's what is that called? a good movie. In, inbound. No. <sighs> anyway. Uh, yeah. Something with the bat with. Uh, yeah. We, we know what we're talking about. Anyway, that is a great, it is a good movie. movie. Um, you have 12, about this, 12 hours. You have 12 <laughs> hours with your dad. Yeah. Um, what are you doing? And when you're in a car with him, what, what do you want to be listening to? Well, first of all, I want him just to be with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's what oh, I Oh, man. Yeah. I just want him to come over or we would go to my mom's house. We'd go to, because it's their house, but we would go there and we would just spend the day with my kids. Mm. 
loved it. My sister and her boyfriend and I love that. My dad would play the piano and we would just have be a family. Day. Yeah, that's it. That's great. Yeah, because I, was... I fully thought about this because that movie is so chaotic. Right, right. <laughs> and they're all over the place yeah, and yeah. it's nuts. But I, because I've thought about it because I saw that movie and I thought, what, what would I do? And yeah, that's all. That's all I would do. Great answer. Yeah, that's it. That's that's really it. I mean, it's it's amazing. That's an answer that that only a mother and yeah. a daughter could come up with. This was a nice conversation. Yeah, it was great. It you, was a you, great chat. It was good for you? Yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 uh, I always love talking about this. Yeah. So. I, I I wasn't worried about how it would go. I knew we, I just knew that we would have a great conversation, but I'm like, this is a topic that I've generally run from, like most people. And most people uh, do, yeah. I wasn't sure where we would weave, but I think it did exactly what it needed to do. It felt natural. I, I'm... I don't know if I've learned more or if I've felt better as a human just relating with you about it the topic yeah you know yeah and i think it's been kind of nice ointment on kind of a rough few days i've personally had where do you feel how do you feel right now about what i've passed through in the last few days or just in general well did this serve anything i know we're still kind of in the middle of the conversation so you can't really reflect but do you feel any different now about your situation i don't know if the two relate either so and it's okay if the answer is no i'm not looking to like solve your problems <laughs> this is just get out of my head annie <laughs> <sighs> maybe the answer is no here's what i do know i it's 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 a father issue okay um I actually don't know anything. What I'm concerned about is that the way things are going, I'm concerned about the ratio of guilt Mm. to grief and how much the accounting is going to scare me of lost time. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have enough of a rapport with you that over time and enough, a couple of glasses of wine and, and pasta, belly full of pasta yeah. at, at, at my home. I haven't had any guys over for dinner that this is a topic I would happily talk with you about, yeah. but this is actually really, really fresh and out of respect for him. I don't, I can't even really get into it, but, no, but, that's okay. but as a son, as a father, um, it's one of those things where you think you're gaining ground mm-hmm. and you realize the ground you've taken is actually not really there. Yeah. And you're in a situation where it's one step forward, possibly five steps back. Yeah. And I'm aware of time. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I I, I don't know. It, I I I don't even think there's. It's not even a matter of like blame anymore. It's just like I'm. This may not happen the way I had hoped it would, yeah. and I may lose this relationship in a way that I didn't want, but things are transpiring that are becoming bigger than me, mm-hmm. and there's a good chance that I'm going to stand one day and lose this person and know I never got to that person. Yeah. I never had that person. Yeah. I have a template. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're almost living in, in this kind of muddy area of anticipatory grief, but you're navigating what that might look like or if it yeah. currently is something you're going through or if the situation is fixable or... I'm definitely going through some grief. I, like I said earlier, uh, 
it's one of those things where you think you're gaining ground and some good work and, yeah. and groundwork was laid. And then you realize that what you thought was victory was something entirely different for someone else. Yeah. And you get this re- rejected, dejected, I feel stupid now. Yeah. It's like when you think someone actually likes you, but really they were just humoring you. Yes. Um, and when you, when you put that in the context of a father and a son. Very complicated. Oof. Very complicated. And I realize I actually have a lot more healing that I need to do. I thought I was further along and I'm, and this thing really triggered a lot of stuff. I mean, I said to my wife, I'm like, I think it's time for therapy. Yeah. Listen, therapy is a really great thing. Yeah. It can be really, really, really helpful. It can be. And this is a whole other conversation too, but I have, yeah. to, I have to get beyond my um, suspicion that you're just clocking time and you really don't care about what I'm saying and you're throwing patronizing questions at me. Because it's just not true. You have to think about, you know, where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm not a therapist. Yeah. But See, but I believe you. Yeah, I hope so. But I just need to find someone that like, I, 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 that I you know, when you, you believe them. Yeah, you yeah. just, you, you do it. And, and that is another thing with therapy is you're not going to find somebody right away, right. probably. And if you do, that's great. You got a date, I get them, I guess, you right? You do a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's true. You do. Yeah, you just got to find the right person. But I, you know what? I'm happy. I'm, I'm going to say that we're friends now. Yeah, um, I would say. And, uh, <laughs> That's the amazing thing about the podcast is yeah, you generally great. two hours after you're friends with these yeah, people, you can totally. never bump into them and go, Oh, Hey, no, there's a friendship there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will happily chat with you about this as this progresses because, uh, it's a type, it's a type of grief and it's a type, it, it's it weird is. in closing yeah. it, this real specific relationship has been a mystery, mm-hmm. discovery, mm-hmm. death, mm-hmm. grieving, coming back to life more death, Life, death, confusion, back and forth. So, interestingly enough, I feel like you just kind of outlined like life. <laughs> Pretty much, <In> a <laughs> yes. Quantifiable with one specific with relationship. A, yeah, one yeah. person. Yeah, one and, person. And, and what's so difficult is that when you go through a tumultuous thing with someone, yeah, you kind of know. Yeah. But you're bound to them through DNA and blood. Yeah, I know. I'm being really cryptic, but I mean that's all I can do right now. Oh, that's okay. Anyway, Annie Horton, uh, it's an honor to chat with you because you're doing a good work and I'm very excited to see where this is all going to go. And I can tell it's going to go a lot of great places because you've, what has it been inside five years, three years you've been really doing this? So this hour loss, so when you first asked me what is hour loss, I kind of stumbled because truthfully, I only came up with my like business model and Mm -hmm. like my business idea less than a month ago. So I've been working in the grief field and in this world for about five years, but our loss stemmed from emerging grief, which was my initial uh, Instagram account. And I started our loss, the account in the fall, yes, only to officially come up with what I want to do in the community just recently. And this is why you're here because what, what you were doing resonated with me in a real way. And, um, you're doing a special thing and I'm very excited to see where it's going to go. Is there a book in the future? I have, th- I've thought about it, but I, I, right now, no. And is my, there a my, podcast in the future? I don't know. Come on. I don't know. My focus really right now is, and I've had to really focus because when you have these ideas, it's so easy to go crazy and be like, going to write a book. I'm going to no, change the world. It. I'm going to do blah, yeah, blah, small blah. bites. And, but what I, I know my focus is, is creating a community is creating 
the spaces for these conversations yes, to happen I love it. every day. I love it. Because they, it doesn't exist right now. So that is my focus. I want to bring people together. Well done. Let's see what happens. Where did we find you on socials and such? So my uh, Instagram account is our.loss. And my website is ourlossgrief.ca. Okay. And on my website, there's a, a whole bunch of stuff. There is a big resource page um, that you can send to people. I, I made it really comprehensive that if you're somebody you know is grieving, you can just copy the URL, send it, and there's a whole bunch Amazing. of stuff there. Amazing. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Are you extra tired now? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that I, I've, I've gotten to know you these last two hours and yeah, I'm thank looking you so much for having of me. course. And I'm looking forward to knowing you more. And, um, there's a bunch of people that I want to spend time with in Hamilton while we live in Hamilton. Yeah. And, uh, so you're on a bit I, of a I countdown. Think, I think we might need to make a point to have, uh, a double date brunch yeah. on the patio at St. James. Definitely. Any from our loss. Thank you so much for your generosity of time and, uh, what me. you're doing. Um, Mad respect for you. Everyone listening, thank you for being a part of this uh, conversation. I'm humbled by every one of you guys, uh, and we will see you again on the other side. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.